0: Welcome to the Running Explained podcast. I'm your host, Elizabeth. I'm a marathoner, coach, and answer seeker. When I first started running at the age of 29, I had so many questions and what felt like nowhere to turn to for answers. And now I'm here to answer all your running questions about anything that you might wanna know. If you're a new runner or you've been doing this for a long time, there's always something more to learn about running. So let's get started. My guest this week is physical therapist, Dr. Megan Wapples, a former collegiate cross-country and track athlete who now works with endurance athletes at the Perfect Stride Physical Therapy Clinic in New York City. So she is uniquely versed in talking about runners, (laughs) like all of my guests usually are. And today we are talking about pain, the concept of pain, acute pain, chronic pain, injury pain, all the things that are beyond the kind of mental suffering that we experience when we're in a hard workout or a race. That's not the pain we're talking about today. We're talking about how to run pain-free or what to do when you are in pain and kind of like the concept of pain in general. It's a really interesting conversation. I definitely learned a thing or two, and I hope you do too. Megan, welcome to the show. I'm excited to have you here. Excited to be here. Thanks for having me. So go ahead and tell us, Megan, how did you become a runner? Yeah. So I
1: started pretty early. I had a great example in my dad. He's a big runner. And I think my first race was when I was like in third grade at a turkey trap. Um, Obviously didn't start training, training till later, but that kind of introduced a love of running. Um, I always say that if you don't love running, it's really hard to get into it. If you love it from the start, it's like the best thing. So I did cross country and track in middle school into high school, and then went on to become a collegiate
0: runner. That's wonderful. What was your uh, event when you were in college?
1: Mostly 5K. Um, cross country is my first love, and everyone runs a 6K, or at least women's, women's teams do. Um, and then indoor, outdoor track, I was mostly
0: 5K. That's wonderful. And so tell us about what you do now for a career.
1: Yeah, I'm a physical therapist working in uh, New York City at a clinic called Perfect Stride. We're in Union Square. Um, Based on our name, you can guess we cater to a lot of endurance athletes and runners. So I'm saturated in running all
0: day. That's awesome. Me too. It is like so much fun. (laughs) Like, what do you mean I get to talk about running all day (laughs) long for my job? (laughs) Yeah, completely. So today we're talking about pain uh, pain, chronic pain, what is pain, running related injuries and pain. But I wanted to have this conversation because I think there are a lot of misconceptions about pain and like pain as a concept. So why don't you go ahead and explain to us, like, what is pain?
1: Yeah. So you, you hit the nail on the head. It's definitely very misunderstood. I think our society demonizes pain in an immense way if you if you look up um for example like any body part on the internet like as like a hey what's your it band every google image immediately is just like a red fire engine like diagram near that body part so i think Generally, we're taught to view pain as a bad thing. Um, Fundamentally, it's not, not all the time. It's our body's alarm system to say, hey, something's wrong, and your body's really good at protecting itself. So, you know, if you're a little kid and you don't realize that you shouldn't touch a stove, you're gonna feel pain so that you bring your hand away really quickly. That's a good form of pain so you don't sit there and burn your hand. Um, when it comes to our world and like orthopedics and medicine and physical therapy, um, it, pain can get a little muddier um, because as runners, there are good and bad types of pain when you're training hard and you're pushing your body. So fundamentally, pain is a signaling system in our brains to say, hey, we should probably stop that. Um, so when it comes to running injuries specifically um because we see that a lot it might be a sign that your body wasn't ready for whatever you threw at it the demand was too high your body wasn't ready to handle it
0: it's interesting that when we talk about the culture of running and the way that we communicate about running one of the things that we talk about in the context of racing or workouts right learning to push through the pain or be in the pain cave or you know, being in, a, in an environment where we're pushing our body and we're in this place where it hurts. I think that for the uninitiated runner who doesn't understand the difference between like the pain of racing, which is almost like, I mean, it's, it's challenging and it's hard, but it's almost like an existential, emotional pain versus the pain of, oh, this thing is in, this thing is painful, right? Those are totally different concepts.
1: Yes. And you touch on a really important point. I think for new runners or honestly, any new athlete, it's it's a really hard distinction between is this like okay and is this not okay? And when it comes to like our sport in general, other sports will say, hey, running's like that painful thing I don't want to do or I don't want to train. So I think You're totally right. Our culture is very much like, go push yourself. This isn't going to feel good. Like nine times out of 10, you're not going to hit that running euphoria, that runner's high in a race. It's probably going to be pretty hard and you've got to be ready to manage that. Um, But it does become very problematic when there's runners who are like, am I weak for saying that I should stop or something doesn't feel right? Um, And that's where you get into kind of a muddy zone with running injuries and
0: um, maybe doing too much too soon. What, are, what do you find are the most normalized types of pain that you wish weren't normalized when you have runners come into your clinic and they're like, yeah, no, it's been feeling this way for six months, but I thought that was normal.
1: Ooh, that's a really good question. Um, I see this a lot with IT band. Um, maybe, you know, I'm trying to think. Chronic hip pain—that's a big one. Um, like if you have a, like an impingement, or maybe there's something intra-articular, meaning with inside the joint, like a labral tear. That's like not the best and can cause some achiness with overtraining, or sometimes more severe pain. Um, back pain—that's a huge one. You get so many individuals, especially in New York, but I mean, it's it's more of our society in general who sit work really hard all day but you aren't moving you aren't walking around you aren't taking breaks and then it's either like first thing in the morning after sleeping or first thing in the evening when you're done and you're like okay i'm gonna go from sitting all day in front of a screen to just pushing my body in a very very different way and having kind of that that ongoing low back tension that's like a really big one that people are like oh i guess that's just normal that's our society um i think that's a really normalized
0: one I want to talk a bit more about the, the kind of you said. You know, pain is a, a signaling system in your brain. One of the most fascinating things to me about pain is that sometimes where you feel the pain isn't where the origination of the issue is. Talk to us a bit about like why that is and what some common um, examples of that are.
1: Sure. Um... I will say it's one of the most fun aspects of being a physical therapist because you got to figure it out. Like a lot of times someone's calf hurting or their Achilles hurting might originate further up the chain or it might be originated because they don't have enough ankle range of motion. Um, There's actually a really interesting um, thread of research right now that is linking like plantar fasciitis pain to like low back pain or like limitations in sciatic nerve mobility. It's just like one little example but it's really true so you know here at least we try and take a very holistic approach when we look at a client the first time in their movement and um it can be a hard sell for people if you're telling someone day one like hey like if if your knee really hurts we actually have to work on your big toe mobility because if you're running all the time and that's limited then your foot's not functioning the way a foot should when you're running and that that ground reaction force and that that load is going up the chain. So I think it's, it's a really interesting puzzle to navigate depending on the case, but it's not always, you know, from like a objective analysis standpoint, you can definitely see that, but in instances of like where pain signaling might get messed up or go a little haywire in instances of things like chronic pain, it can get really messy really fast.
0: I would imagine this thing that you see a lot of people who come into your clinic and say, I have pain. Let's say they point to their knee and say, I have pain here in my knee. So I've been doing things to treat my knee pain. I have been icing my knee. I've been doing things to my knee. And as you've said, like the, whatever the thing is, it might, that might not be, how you actually take care of it or fix it.
1: Yeah, I'll, I'll give you an anecdote from earlier. Um, normally I hear patients come in and say like, I Googled this. I looked on WebMD. The latest one I heard was I asked ChatGPT what to do. about Gosh. my hamstring strain and I was like, no, 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 no. Um, and while like our own research, and that's very, very normal to go treat something on your own before you have to go seek care from somebody, go through insurance, pay some money, whatever, to go seek a professional opinion. Um, It goes right back to our society not exactly being up to date with how we should approach pain or injuries from the start. The classic example is hey, I sprained my ankle, I should get off it, I should put some compression on it, I should ice it, I shouldn't bear weight on it, I definitely shouldn't move it. And that's actually not the best evidence anymore in terms of how to treat something like that and give yourself the best chance of getting back out the door going running again, or at least walking again pain-free. And I think that that's more of a problem And Because not everyone's first thought is going to be, let me go see my physical therapist or my doctor about this. It's, I can handle this. It's fine. Um, And what do I do about it? And then all of a sudden you get someone treating an injury with Advil every day so they can do their workout. That's a red flag in our world. You should not have to take ibuprofen, Aleve, Tylenol, any sort of
0: pain medication to go get through your workout. That's actually, I mean, (laughs) there... There was, like, a, a a joke, and I hope things are starting to change now, but, like, oh, vitamin I for ibuprofen. Like, every runner needs some vitamin I. And it's like, oh, my God. No, 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 no. Like, don't. <laughs> Please don't do yeah. that. And like, so, you know, they're, I love that you're bringing this up because, there's look, there's nothing wrong with taking specific medication for certain things, but, you know, those types of anti-inflammatory drugs are not – intended for chronic long-term use to manage something that should be addressed by a medical professional.
1: Yeah, and I'll I'll share one little known fact. I think it's becoming more well known which is good, but the nature of like ibuprofen or an NSAID is it's it's an anti-inflammatory. And for our body to actually start kickstart a healing process, we need to go through inflammation. So if you're taking all these anti-inflammatories and you actually need to go through a little bit of inflammation to go on to the next stage of healing, you're just prolonging that first stage. So yes, maybe for four to six hours, you're going to feel better and it's not going to stress you out that your knee hurts or that your hamstring's nagging you or whatever it is. But fundamentally, that's going to make you a weaker runner and also, you know, your judgment in terms of how do you actually feel during this workout are you actually and i hate to use you know paint like the the classic zero to ten scale because it's so subjective but we do have to base symptoms on something if you're if you think you're like a one out of ten but you're taking like ibuprofen around the clock on your 10 mile run there's a really good chance you're a four or a five and that's not as safe
0: I want to ask you about the recommendations for, and I know there are different types of pain and obviously different types of of issues, and I do want to talk about chronic pain as one of the topics of our conversation today. But um, talking about the way that I think we've traditionally been taught to manage pain or soft tissue injuries with this rice acronym rest ice compression elevation and i mean so often when i talk to runners and i am like the the middleman between like oh you okay thank you for telling me about your injury but like you need to go to a physical therapist they say well i i'm resting and i'm icing and i put a compression bandage on it and i'm keeping it elevated uh talk to us about rice and how the research has changed sure and it's a
1: really good question um fundamentally anything that helps your nervous system calm down i'm never going to say don't do that um so you know ice specifically taps into the temperature sensory nerves in our body and cold therapy i I'm sure you've heard about the emerging research on cryotherapy or cold plunges and why that taps into the side of your nervous system that says everything just chill out versus the other side, which is fight or flight, which increases pain signaling. Ice also decreases inflammation, it can help with swelling. I'm not going to say that's a bad way to approach something like an ankle sprain that's, you know, causing swelling and pain. However, As like the only and first course of treatment, I think the biggest issue is rest in that. Um, It's not the only thing that's going to fix you. It's maybe the first step if you're really in acute pain. So I'm talking bruising, swelling, can't bear weight. Okay, fine. Maybe some compression, elevation, ice will help you in the short term to make sure you don't damage yourself further. However... Usually the, the course of treatment, now I'm speaking very broadly based on different conditions, different injuries, you know, acute injury, something more traumatic versus something chronic and an overuse injury, you're gonna have to treat a little differently. Movement is medicine. It's kind of a cheesy tagline that physical therapists use, but it's really, really true. Um, restoring mobility is your first step towards getting better. And rest by itself tells you you know, it demonizes movement. You don't wanna go into the range of motion that hurts. You don't wanna go into any range of motion in case you damage something. That's that's really damaging information to be publicizing throughout the general public because not everyone's gonna go see a medical provider every time something hurts, especially runners. I think runners are very tough it out. I got this, this happened to me a month ago or happened to my friend, I know how to treat this. And fundamentally, you know, the steps of rehab are, what mobility do you lack? Do you ab- Are you able to control that mobility, something called motor control, and then you get to strengthening, and then you get to more return to sport, resiliency style, rehab. But the first step in any of it is control your pain. If you're in a lot of pain, you're not going to be able to move the way you want to move. Your body's going to protect you. Um, so it's kind of this counterintuitive you know, issue, and I'm just using an ankle sprain because it's such a I'm an example, but fundamentally an ankle sprain is you go into a range of motion, you overdo something and everyone thinks, oh, and I'm really unstable. That might be true. But you actually have a decrease in mobility because your body stiffens up to protect you. It's not that you've lost, um, you know, or that you're, you're going into too much range of motion necessarily. Usually it's quite the opposite.
0: Can you explain the difference between, we talked about this kind of acute, and I I wanna kind of differentiate, maybe tease out the definitions of what what I'm talking about, and maybe you can correct me if I'm using some of these terms incorrectly. Um, Thinking about an acute injury, like I am running and I I I roll my ankle and I sprain my ankle, like I fall off a curb or maybe I I trip over a root, like I, I wasn't injured, and then two seconds later, I am injured. Um, something like a, an overuse injury, which I think is the most common type of injuries that we see in runners, and then something that's a chronic condition. Um, what's the difference between, because the vast majority of running injuries are overuse injuries that can sometimes turn into chronic conditions, but that's different from I, I sprained my ankle versus I am, have been running and now my ankle feels stiff, tight, maybe achy or sore, uh, in different scenarios?
1: Yeah, excellent question. Something that's not well understood for what it's worth for the average person. Um, acute, it's going to be more traumatic. It's new. An overuse injury can present as an acute injury if you haven't had pain before, that that your onset, your mechanism of injury is a little different. We, we talk about it as, you know, if I trip on a curb and sprain my ankle. Okay, that's an acute injury, I'm in acute pain, I'm in that first like 24 hours, right? Um, I'm on my long run and my hamstring starts to nag. Um, that might be acute presentation of pain, that's the first time it's hurt, but it's not this sudden thing, I didn't tear my hamstring on my run, it's probably something that's more overused, maybe a little tendonitis, maybe more of like, you know, I we don't love diagnosis terms here because fundamentally, it's not always the most helpful thing in getting you better, but, but you know maybe it is the beginning of that. Um, chronic injuries, little different than chronic pain. Chronic injury would be something that you continue to struggle with. Maybe you get a little bit better, maybe it's worth it sticking around a long time. Now chronic pain, the definition in the medical field is any type of pain that you've been experiencing for more than 12 weeks. So, that is a little different than, you know, a chronic injury. So, say I'm someone who, you know, has had an on and off, you know, lower back pain. Um, maybe there's no injury there. Maybe it's just non-specific low back pain. Maybe that's a chronic low back pain. That's not necessarily a chronic injury. Chronic pain gets a little um, tricky because that alarm system in our brain to protect ourselves. It's really helpful in instances of acute injury, danger, that's why it's created, it's it's a survival mechanism. But chronic pain is where this, the signaling can go a little haywire. Um, and what I should add to my definition is that it carries on for 12 weeks despite treatment. Maybe you've taken medication, maybe you've seen physical therapists, maybe you've, you know, iced it. (laughs) You've done something to improve it. Maybe you've taken a step back from your running um, and, you know, in a normal treatment process, you know, bone usually heals within that time frame. So say I have a stress fracture and we treat it the way you should. And on an image, my bone is solid. It's great. But then I go for a run and I'm in the same amount of pain or something near the same amount of pain. There's nothing physiologically wrong anymore. But my brain has interpreted for X, Y, or Z reasons, protect this area. And it gets a little messy, but our brain can adapt to a state of um, constantly protecting us. And um, there's an analogy I use with a lot of patients, and I you'll have to let me know if it resonates with you because there's a million analogies in our world. But um, I want you to picture a ski slope, fresh powder overnight. I'm gonna go ski down the hill, and I'm gonna make that first trek. It's a little hard to get there, but I get to the bottom. That's my end destination. That would be a normal pain response. So, you know, I touch a stove, okay? And that's that pain signal response going down. Say, hey, protect yourself, okay? In instances of chronic pain, you have now sent that skier down that same track the whole time, so it becomes easier and quicker, and faster to go to that place. And maybe there isn't a reason to be sending that anymore. Um, There's a bunch of ways to talk about this. Um, The medical term for a lot of it is cortical smudging that our brain can adapt to um, a state of chronic pain where it's become very, very good at sending pain signals to an area and protecting it. Um, it's almost like a hypersensitivity or hyper-awareness of an
0: area that's been in pain. That is fascinating. And that's that that resonates so – I mean, I'm a skier, so I'm like, yeah, that totally makes sense. But one of the things that I talk about <laughs> when we talk about – I mean, just kind of the the way I like to help people understand and mostly about like how to – you know, make something that felt unnatural at first, you try something new. It's new. I say, it's like you're, you're blazing a trail through the jungle. You know, at first you're kind of going through and to kind of bushwhack your way through, it's really hard, but eventually if you keep going along down that same trail, it turns into a super highway and you can travel at a hundred miles an hour, no problem. But the problem is, is when you build a super highway in the wrong place, is what it sounds like.
1: Yes. I love that. That's a good one. I, um, I I would be remiss not to mention that the reason that it it can become this way isn't super well known, but we've linked a lot of factors to potentially, you know, increasing that speed. For example, the skier or becoming hyper aware of an area. So that stress fracture analogy that I use. Say I got a stress fracture mission. It healed perfectly. We have an MRI to confirm it. And I go on a run, and I'm still having almost an, like hyper-awareness to that area, like, oh, that still hurts a lot. Um, I go for my run, I do my return to run program, my physical therapist guides me through a whole course of treatment, and I'm still having pain in my shin. There's nothing on imaging that could say that it's, it's wrong, like something's wrong physiologically. Um, And then you start diving a little bit deeper and potentially the patient or the runner experiencing this, you ask about, hey, what's your sleep like recently? What's your stress like? How's work? How's your relationships? How's your diet and nutrition? That's a whole nother topic for runners. Are you hydrating? Are you someone who has had a history of shin splints in the past? Are you someone who's had a history of like a stress fracture there? What's your perception of pain? What's your perception of an injury? Or maybe this runner had a really bad experience with injuries in the past. Maybe they didn't make the team they wanted to. Maybe they weren't able to run the race. Maybe they had a friend who took forever to heal from something that sounds like yours. All of these factors, we we use like a bucket analogy here. Like your, your pain bucket, so to speak. Like you're throwing all these factors in And what's your capacity to hold that, versus you might be having all these, you know, I I touched on sleep, I touched on nutrition, touched on stress, your relationships, things in our life that are a holistic look of our health and our overall, you know, happiness, and what's the state of our nervous system on a day-to-day basis. They can all be positive factors for you. Maybe you've used this time to get really into swimming maybe there's nothing up with work or stress or school or whatever it is. Maybe you're really on top of your nutrition. You're doing everything in your power. And when you go back to, to running, you've known, hey, like I've done everything I can. Everything else in your system's is good. Um, no pain, as we would expect. Then you can kind of dive a little bit deeper. And this is a very broad example. This gets very Um, detailed and individualized very quickly, but say that person's sleeping like five hours a night and work is really stressful and they haven't been able to run the marathon for the last couple years because something similar had happened or they're not taking care of their nutrition, whatever it may be, those factors can dramatically alter your nervous system. And when we're talking about healing from an injury and experiencing pain, of course there's the orthopedic side and physiologically you need to make sure everything's going. To plan, but if you have done that and things are still not matching up, then you have to start asking these questions and understand what might not be um, optimal at this stage. Why might you still be experiencing that sensitivity?
0: I know it can also be very challenging for runners, especially you know with injuries that have taken them out for a while, injuries that are you know slow to heal that they, a a lot of runners feel an incredible amount of anxiety when that pain presents, right? So, oh, maybe you're going through rehab and the pain is lessening and then you have one run where it's a little bit stronger again and it's emotionally like a really challenging thing. And so that, that response can also like make, you know, make the pain response potentially be greater than it would otherwise be.
1: Yes, that emotional side of your brain's kicking in. makes a lot of sense. Most runners I work with, and I feel like I can say this because I'm a runner myself, I care about the sport immensely. I feel like I'm my best when I can be running. Um, there's a huge emotional piece to it. It's not good enough for most runners if you tell them, well, like the number of patients I've had who love running, and they go to a doctor and the doctor says, well, maybe you shouldn't run if that hurts, right? Or maybe pick something else. Most runners don't want to pick something else. They love running. It's why, you know, they, they push themselves in the sport. And a lot of people, that's their social outlet. In New York City, there's just dozens and dozens, I think hundreds, of running clubs here. It's a huge source of a social network for people. In college, that's your team, that's your social life. In high school, whatever it is, and even if there isn't a social piece to you as like a recreational runner, half the time, there's something I'm saying that would speak to you. You meet up with a friend, you have a race to train for, that makes you feel better about yourself that you can go do that long run or get out the door early in the morning before everyone's awake. Now, if you can't do that, all of a sudden, that's an outlet for you. Um, I think I saw you at an episode about how running is in therapy. I, 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 I see this so much where that is the emotional outlet for people. It's a stress management tool. Now there's a lot of reasons why people run, but the second you take that away and you say, hey, like this is the trial period to go back to that thing, to either go back to track club, to to go for a run again and feel like yourself for whatever reason, and you have pain, that can be extremely discouraging. and worrisome for a lot of people, there's an anxiety response to it. Like, oh, maybe something isn't healed or maybe I have to go back and do this healing process again. It's a lot of work to rehab and you have to be mature in knowing when something needs a rest day or an off day, but it's it's extra hard when you're like, hey, I actually know I need 12 weeks off from this. Um, that's a, lot, uh, a much harder pill to swallow or longer depending on what it is. Um, I think what might be helpful is also saying that when I'm getting people back to running, we use that that problematic zero to 10 scale. I'm okay if someone's a three or four out of 10 pain, especially in instances where we know physiologically you are healed. Um, if it's an instance where I'm pretty certain it's more of a chronic pain circumstance, objectively, they're, they're testing great on everything, you can... Train with a little bit of pain, and that's a safe way to train. As long as it's not getting dramatically worse, it's calming down after the fact. Obviously, we prefer it be a zero out of ten, but a one, two, three—that's that's okay. Um, and I think for a lot of runners, initially they assume that the first second they go and do the big thing again, it's going to feel like it was before, before they had pain or an injury or whatever. And that's not always the case, and that's okay.
0: I was actually—it's funny that you brought up the you know go to a doctor they say don't run i was going to ask you how often do you get runners in your clinic who said well i went to the orthopedist or i went to this professional and they said oh you just shouldn't run running's just bad for you you should stop running and you assessed them and said that's actually not the case here we just need to make some adjustments and go through some rehab yeah
1: um i would say if you pulled Me and my colleagues, we we've heard it a disturbing amount. And then we've also had phenomenal orthopedists who are like, Yeah, like go to PT, you're gonna be fine, you know? I think it's a spectrum. And for myself as a collegiate athlete, a high school athlete, like it was a huge reason why I got into physical therapy is I was really lucky to go into doctor's offices who worked with athletes, right? They're like, yeah, you'll be fine for conference. Go to PT, do your exercises, listen to your body, you'll be okay. And it, it's what introduced me to a field that was so positive, you know, like, hey, there's a, there's a way to get yourself back and probably stronger than when you first came in. But it's, it's a disheartening amount. Um, and it can be for, you know, chronic conditions. It can be for, um, you know, especially I've, I've seen it with runners who repeatedly hurt the same thing. And the doctor will look at their objective facts and be like, as a medical professional, can't recommend you run more marathons. And I'm, me and my colleagues are kind of in the camp of, we're never going to tell you you can't do it we're never going to tell you – we're not fortune tellers, but we're not going to sit here and say that's a bad idea.
0: Cut that out of your life. It's it's not our place, you know? I, I Everything is a spectrum. I think it was, it was just interesting. I recently was um, chatting with a runner who had been to – and this is, you know, out of my hands, right? They're on their own medical journey, but they recently um, had a consult with a, a surgeon – who said, uh, "Well, you just shouldn't be running anyways because running's bad for your knees"? And I was like, what? "Oh no, no, no!" <laughs> <laughs> a surgeon, like, they're- okay, that person did, probably doesn't understand runners. I'm sure they're a phenomenal surgeon, but everybody has their own niche.
1: <laughs> Gotta read the studies. They they need to be up to date with their research. I think. You can insert any activity into that statement and say it's bad for your knees if you do it too much and you're not ready for it. But as an activity, we actually know that runners tend to have a higher, you know, if, you, if done in the right way, great bone density, good muscle tone, you know, you're able to do plyometric loading in a in a really, like, safe, consistent way that's also good for your heart and your body. I think it's not great for our medical professionals to be pushing a narrative that, exercise is bad for you. Um, honestly, for so many things that our, our, our system is plagued with, whether it's chronic diseases, mental health issues, um, chronic pain, um, exercise is one of the better things for it.
0: Let's talk about the progression of uh, a rehab. And as you said before, you know, some... Some um, pain is okay and probably will be present through the rehab process. It doesn't mean you're going backwards. This is again talking about runners going through rehab and get very reactive to oh, but it's still there, and then they you know like then they feel like they're going backwards, even though just because it hurts doesn't necessarily mean that it's not working.
1: Yeah, completely. Um, my just disclaimer is everyone's so different, um, you know, as much as I've thrown around like generic terms of or generic conditions of ankle sprain or bands and whatever it is, everyone I have, I have multiple patients right now, same age, same gender, love to run, same diagnosis, completely different courses of care. So I'll say that for starters um pain guidelines kind of what i talked about earlier like a little bit of pain is okay we we don't want to fixate on it too much but it's it is our body's warning signal so we got to know if your brain's ready to do it um there's a reason we stay in the lower end because if we put you in a five or a six out of ten on your runs your brain you're just you're going to strengthen that connection that your brain's like no this is a bad activity this is going to cause pain and you know once you've really strengthened you know, the person, they're they're doing better. They're through the healing process. They've been working hard at it. And this is more of like a chronic pain cycle. You need to find ways for them to access running in a way that does not worsen that connection. You actually need to strengthen it. So I'll give the example of say, say, say you come to me and you're like, Hey, I have um, pain, like X number miles in, and we've been working together for a while, you're doing really well. Um, you have pain on the dot four miles in. This is also like a really big tip off for any, I'm curious if any of your physical therapists consistently listen to you have the same experience, but say you have that runner and it's like, there's nothing you're seeing that's like dramatically the reason why they should be having pain exactly at that mile mark. There are a couple of tricks I've learned of, you know, Hey, okay. So four miles is where it it hurts. Go run 3.9 and stop. Go run 3.9, go run a different route for 3.9, go a different direction, go a different time of day, go with a friend, distract yourself. And we start building that. Maybe if they're training more, you say, Hey, go for that 3.9 mile run and go do it again later today. Technically they've run nearly eight miles that day and not had pain or they've had a little bit of discomfort. Um, it's an example. Um, I think there's a lot of ways you can be a positive cheerleader as a medical professional to help people get back to a place where running is a safe activity, whether that's like from a physiological orthopedic standpoint or, Hey, like we tried that run and you're not having pain right now but it started bothering you towards the end, no big deal. That's a data point for us. We know that it came on at this point. That's our new metric. Can we work our way back to a
0: point where that four miles isn't painful? Does that help at all? Yeah, and that's and explain it? That's really fascinating. And, and, and I think, you know, for runners, we tend to be creatures of habit, right? We run at the same time of day. We have like three routes that we always, you know, we, we do the same thing over and over and over again. There is a certain, I want to say kind of monotony, I want to say not in a bad way, but look, endurance running tends to be at a lot of the same stuff over and over and over again. There's only so many ways that you can spice up running six miles in an easy effort with strides, right? And so that's fascinating that to, to say, trying something as different as just Doing the same thing slightly differently different time of day different routes different you know that alone could be enough to maybe force your brain signaling to be different than it would be otherwise and if you got up at six thirty 30 and went on your normal everyday run
1: yeah and in instances where you need to retrain your brain basically we talked about cortical smudging briefly earlier where you've gotten very very good at sending pain signals to a certain place like There's a million tricks you can try with somebody and see what resonates. Um, Like a home program from physical therapy, I like to stack it right off the bat with alleviators. So alleviators, there's aggravators. Aggravators gonna cause pain. Alleviators, probably gonna take it away, gonna make you feel a little bit better. Okay, so before you run, go nuts with your alleviators. Middle of your run, starting to feel something, do one of those if you can. Um, After the run, make sure you're doing everything you can to calm things back down you're managing it, you have some control over it. Um, and I will say, you know, from uh, like an orthopedic um, perspective and a prevalence perspective, there's, um, they recently came out with numbers from 2021 of how many individuals in the United States experience chronic pain. It's, it's 20% of our population. It's, it's surpassed a lot of chronic illnesses. It's not this niche thing that like barely anyone experiences. It's one in five U.S. adults. Um, so it's something we need to be aware of as practitioners, as coaches, people in, you know, I, I think you you highlighted this, we're very habitual people. We like to do things. We we don't like to deviate from the weekly plan we want to go to that track workout oh my gosh it's raining that's a bummer i still need to go do this to stick to the plan rather than move the plan it's typically the personality we see so when you know from a a conscientiousness perspective i mean this and i see it as a runner who cares and who's been through this pain cycle myself who's been through injuries myself like we're the kind of personality type that's probably going to care a lot if that hurts on the run. And for all the reasons we talked about, you know, we can both have like, you know, sleep and nutrition education on our side and a good support network and all these things. But in cases where kind of pain pops up and something's been nagging for a long time and you still feel pain, we have to be aware of it. It's a really high number. So like, you know, depending on who you are in that person's life, or if you're experiencing it yourself, like where do you go next? Do you go and see a provider? Do you talk about it with your coach? Do you need to talk about it? Like as a coach, do you need to refer to maybe like, hey, have you ever talked to a therapist before about how hard this is? Um, And that's the concept of like referring out and knowing
0: where to go and how to build a care team. That, Knowing the prevalence of chronic back pain, specifically in this country, that statistic does not surprise me. Although it does make me very sad, because I know how debilitating living with chronic pain can be. Right? It it, it can it can color your whole world. It can feel like it's taking over your whole life. That you can't like you can't really live because you are always in pain. Um, how and so like I think it's very important that we acknowledge this right it's not it's not as simple as saying just like oh just go for a run a different time it's like look it's you your suffering is real like the what you're experiencing is real even if maybe it hasn't been approached or treated in a way that's found a resolution yet like we we acknowledge that it's happening to you
1: and I'm glad you said that too because I I hear this a lot from patients who've gone and seen doctors who've tried to explain pain to them or chronic pain to them or frankly my analogy didn't resonate and we had to talk about it um it's not your fault it's not an emotional response it's not like oh you're too conscientious you're too fixated on it it's not that at all it's a it's it's a haywire signaling pathway it's not on you there's and then we gotta figure out what ways do we have our individual to you that are gonna work to lessen that signaling to get you back to a better baseline. And I, I think it's it's a really, that's why pain gets such, it, it gets muddy really fast in explaining it to people or when you're Googling it or whatever as a patient or maybe a runner who has this nagging pain and they're like, I don't know why that's still there. I've done everything right and it's still there. You, you need to acknowledge too, like, you know,
0: it, it's it's not on you and it's difficult. Um, I would say very broadly, what are the most common types of chronic pain that you see in your clinic?
1: Low back pain, for sure. Um, I think as most
0: physical therapists, um,
1: I mean, we're in New York City, people work hard here. People work really hard here. It's a, it's a very busy culture, high stress, um, like work hard, play hard, right? I think there's a lot of things in our environment that predispose us despite the fact that the average New Yorker is probably walking more than someone else in the country, maybe in the suburbs or whatever. Um, so I'd say low back pain right now um, I've seen a lot of like headaches and neck pain. Um, Post- concussion syndrome is really big. Um, for those of you who don't know this, concussions can linger and cause anxiety, brain fog, constant headaches pts treat that um something that a lot of people don't realize i'd say those jaw pain these are all you know highly correlated with stress for the most part um with my runners um you're gonna hear more you know achilles plantar fasciitis um things with like lower leg issues but
0: how often do you like you obviously you've said taking that holistic approach of as we're treating this injury, especially with a chronic presentation and looking at stress and sleep and nutrition and just kind of general relationships and anxiety and, and mental state and emotional state and all of that. How often is there some sort of lifestyle change that is going to improve the person's prognosis or quality of life?
1: So I'd say everyone has the potential to improve. I've seen it be very dramatic and I've seen it be something that we talk about. And then you realize very quickly that that person is just not on that stage and that readiness for change wheel that you need them to be on. As a coach, I'm sure you know what I'm talking about. Um, I've, you know, I've seen individuals who, you know, drink every night, uh, sleep five hours, working through the weekend. Um, running, working out through pain, like really change their pain sensitivity once I say, hey, I don't need you to do anything for me from PT standpoint, except can you sleep a little bit more? Can you try to sleep a little bit more? Um, Because it's our biggest recovery tool. You can do everything right. Now that's a bad example, but you can do everything right. You can go to PT, you can do your prehab, you can do your rehab, you can strength train. you can do mobility work you can run the prescribed amount you can eat perfect no such thing but you're doing everything right away. if you're not sleeping enough you're missing out on your biggest recovery tool so i think you know at we ask on eval what's your sleep like what's your stress like now we're meeting someone often for the first time so you're not going to get right into it with people unless they want to get right into it with you but it's something you definitely need to be aware of because If their system is not primed for healing or recovery, that's going to be problematic. You can throw everything you want at them and not get the best result.
0: I would also imagine I'm thinking about like, yeah, of course. I mean, I love sleep and I tell everybody sleep as much as you reasonably can. Um, but if you're experiencing pain, and I know sometimes with some specific injuries or pain presentation that we have, yeah, you're going to experience pain at night. Like it can be hard to sleep for eight hours when you are up because you're in pain, right? So it becomes very challenging then to feel like, um, you know, I can't even do the thing that's going to help me because my pain's preventing me from doing it.
1: Yeah. And you bring up a really good point. I think a lot of people um, on eval, like in here first day, they'll say that it's like, well, I'd love to be sleeping more. Technically, I'm in bed for eight hours, but I'm not sleeping because I'm woken up because of pain or whatever it is. Um, Then it becomes a whole conversation about sleep hygiene. Um, insomnia is big in this it it shouldn't surprise you but there are so many overlaps of chronic pain with anxiety with insomnia with depression with sleep dysfunction fatigue these these conditions it's like a vicious cycle and you got to break it somewhere so sleep's not where you're going to break it you need to you need to be able to have a strategy just like i talked about Say you're running, throw an alleviator at it. If something's bothering you, I've seen great success with that. Even if it's something as simple as, oh, your shin's starting to bother you, try an active release technique that takes 10 seconds. You you give a different input to your system. And sometimes that's enough for people to be like, actually, that took the pain away, and now they have a more optimistic outlook. Um, with sleep, I talk a lot about what might work for somebody, whether it's throw an alleviator exercise at it, meditate do some deep breathing. That's a hard sell for people who haven't experienced the benefits. But I talked briefly about how cold therapy has been shown to tap you into that side of your nervous system that says to to relax. Belly breathing has the same quick way to put you on that side of your nervous system. So if we're in that fight or flight mode, which as runners, like half the time when you're starting to run and you watch your watch data later, your heart rate spikes. It's not relaxed. It's not chill. You're actually doing something that's going to raise your heart rate. Um, and for good reason, you need to pump blood to muscles in your body. But if if you're working hard all day and then your outlet is exercise, where's the rest and chill out part of, um, you know, therapy, so to speak, that you're giving your system, so I like belly breathing for that reason. And then you have to get into more Is is the sleep disruption pain or is the sleep disruption like rumination, anxiety, can't sleep for X, Y, Z reasons, and then it becomes a little more individualized.
0: I'm to ask you a, a, a challenging question. I'm not quite sure if you, I, I don't know. I don't know what the answer is going to be. Um, are, is the goal with every patient to be 100 percent pain free or are there situations where we are looking at long-term pain management as the goal instead
1: great question um absolutely i have a couple patients who were born with like hypermobility syndromes by virtue that's a very full body experience that frankly I, i have patients who can't remember the last day they had no pain um I have one patient in particular who we've worked from a lot a lot of pain to running multiple half marathons and it's helped her immensely. So I think there's a difference in capacity um, for people. People with long-standing chronic pain. This is um you you goals for every patient is gonna look different because we're all different, right? Um there are gonna be plenty of people who waltz in your door and you fix them and they're pain-free, they're running, they're doing great. It's good to hear the updates. Then there are people who have been dealing with something for so long on and off that you need to readjust the the goals and the expectations right off the bat to say, all right, so you're in a lot of pain right now. I wanna lower your pain and I wanna increase your capacity for movement, whether it be running, cycling, whatever, day-to-day activities, um, sleeping through the night, whatever it may be. Um, and then you go from there, and you readjust goals constantly. Um, I think it's more like chronic conditions that's that tends to be the case. But I know if you pulled a lot of physical therapists, they'd have a different response. And I think um, I have a couple of patients too who, you know, that post-concussive syndrome um, can. That's something that puts your system constantly in fight or flight mode, so that can cause more, you know, pain signaling from an orthopedic. Perspective if they have something going on, um, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's hard. Those cases are really, really hard. But, you know, as much as I, I think I said earlier, like, I, I find physical therapy to be such an optimistic field. There's still a way to be very optimistic for those individuals.
0: And lastly, um, what are your kind of best guidelines for somebody who is on a run, and something starts flaring up right what are your and i know we kind of talked before kind of what those pain levels are going to be but like how how would you communicate to somebody when like you know when they should are probably going to be fine or when it's time to walk into your clinic and get some help
1: yeah great question um it's you know general rule of thumb is it altering the way you run? Are you running differently because of that pain? Are you stopping your runs early because it's really painful? Are you experiencing pain that's like dramatically or even just a little bit worse after the run and it's sticking around despite you doing your best efforts to calm it back down? Um, For those who have a big thing coming up, like we're in marathon training season, it's just starting for all the big fall major marathons if you're starting your training cycle and there's just something nagging you and it's not awful but it's nagging you and you're about to increase your mileage go get it seen like you don't want to go get it seen when you can't walk um and there's something to be said about prehab as well i think a good rule of thumb from a pain guideline perspective is you know if you're in one two land and it's going away it might be a little irk you might be fine and there's no big deal if if it's more in like four or above land and it's not getting better it's getting worse and you're seeing your performance falter as a response and you know having pain outside of the run that's pretty worrisome it's like taking up brain space then you probably need to go get it seen
0: and just so everybody is educated what are the symptoms of a bone stress injury
1: oh great question um from a physical therapist um standpoint i'll I'll be very frank, we don't have the best tests for it. Um, The test I use for a bone stress injury is typically pain on palpation of the bone that's different from the other side and do you have pain hopping on one foot. Um, As someone who you you might suspect something, it's very focal. so, now, this is general. There are some stress fractures and bone injuries that can radiate and masquerade as other things going on. But if you're having like substantial pain hopping on one foot, i.e. running, running is literally just single leg hops over and over again, alternating. Um, but you also might have a history of like nutritional deficiencies, anemia, um, bone density issues run in your family. You're a female runner. Maybe you're a female runner who hasn't been having consistent periods. Those are things that you want to start having that like alarm bell in your brain go, "Be like, I probably want to check this out."
0: That can be tough to me because I, despite my best, kind of like I don't do injury stuff. You need to talk to a physical therapist. I do get a lot of questions about injuries, and one of the things that I do get questions about is, um, is it safe to run on this X Y Z? And I'm like, I don't mm-hmm. know. I don't know because I don't know you. And honestly, even if I was a physical therapist, I still don't know you because you're in my TMs, not standing in front of me and I haven't assessed you. So that can be very challenging too because like I kind of circling this back to the beginning beginning of our conversation to tie it all a neat little bow on top of it. You know, we are conditioned as runners to accept a certain level of discomfort in pursuit of this thing that we love. But a lot of people have trouble differentiating between good discomfort, normal discomfort, and that's not normal discomfort.
1: Yeah. Um, One, I commend you for your answer, because I think the best thing we can do as someone who is in some sort of mentorship role, whether it's a coach or me as a PT, um, as much as I've talked about you know the the concept of like meditation or thinking about sleep disturbances or nutrition I am a physical therapist I'm not a registered dietitian I'm not a therapist they're they're different you need to know your scope of practice and what you can honestly tell somebody as um, real fact and advice um, I say with bone injuries Barbie safe and sorry um, like that's not something you want to train through if you're having substantial pain because your your timeline for recovery is just getting longer and longer the longer you go on it. Um, does that answer the question? Yeah, I think it's
0: very helpful. You no, know, and I talk about my scope. You know, the scope we all need to know our scope, and I think it's tough too. Is, as as professionals in this space where you know we want to help people and it's very challenging sometimes to have somebody ask you a question you're saying I probably could answer this but like ethically I know this is not inside of my scope of practice. And like, I think sometimes people hear us say that and they think, well, she just, just doesn't want to answer my question. I'm like, no, I'm telling you that I'm not qualified. Like I'm not, and and, and and you should be happy about that, right? Like I'm telling you that I'm not qualified to answer that question appropriately. You, I, I will make a recommendation on who can. That's not, I think it's not a failure of us as, as uh, I call myself like a running educator and a running coach. It's not a failure on my part. Look, like, I think it's a strength. You have to know where your scope 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 ends and somebody else's begins in order to treat people appropriately
1: completely and also admit knowing like if you don't have the facts in front of you like I think your question earlier was you know hey if a runner gives you these facts and say hey should I stop running I get so many emails from clients over the weekend and it might be like hey I really want to do my long run but this hurts and it hurts doing this and this and I tried this and this and it still hurts can I do my long run fundamentally, I'm not seeing you in person. If there aren't enough facts for me to give an educated guess to that that person, I'm gonna kinda say, hey, with the little information you've given me, pain guidelines, do the single a cop test, see how it feels, like whatever we've been working on that they are already aware of from a safe perspective, maybe you gotta readjust your plan, but you gotta listen to your body at the end of the day. Um, But being able to say, even within your scope of practice, like with the information in front of me, I can only give so much information and to have, you know, you have the best response um, and the safest response. And I think there is a very, um, something we danced around and talked about today was like, what's the difference between pain that might be like good pain to protect you and what's chronic pain? Chronic pain, once you've kind of established with a care team, hey, this is where this is at. Like you've been having pain for a while, like more than 12 weeks, usually longer. It's disrupting your life. Um, We've thrown a lot at it. Physiologically, there's nothing up with it anymore. Maybe there is a little bit, but you're experiencing higher levels of pain than would be expected with this. Then that is a very different approach than a runner who is having pain, running through it, and trying to navigate that maybe without the treatment yet. Um, and I think that's a really big skill. And I think for my easiest one was one I said earlier was, hey, are you altering your form? Are you not doing the workout when you had to do a workout because it hurts to run fast or at your normal pace? Are you limping afterwards? Are you unable to walk without pain? Um, those, are, those are good gut checks for yourself if something feels a little off.
0: And it's I mean, all of this is tough, too, because it is so there is such a subjective element to this and and that we we do want people to learn how to tune into what they're actually feeling. But it takes some education to be like, okay, but this is how you're actually feeling. Right. This is like we can't we have to teach people how to trust themselves before we can they can then trust themselves. But that's the end goal. Right. For somebody to understand based on my body and my experience and what I've been through with my running and my PT and all of this, like I now know how to differentiate between this is no big deal versus I need to go see Megan.
1: Yeah, and if it helps anyone, I think it's so much fun as a runner for me to have gotten my education, to work with people, to understand my body better, understand what's a good level of pain and what's not such a good level of pain. And frankly, despite how much I know, there are times where you need an outside perspective. Um, the term, don't be your own doctor, is a real thing. Um, there's a lot I can do for myself to understand if it's a good level of pain versus not. I can advise you know, friends I'm running with, like, hey, is this like problematic? And watch them run as we're running to say, like, oh, you, you're probably fine versus, like, that's a limp um to to distinguish it but it's a work in progress even with a lot of information i I say this more to validate how hard it really is um especially with something that maybe you've been struggling with for a while and you or i don't know how many of your athletes talk to you the week before a marathon and suddenly have like four new injuries
0: Yep. Yeah, always. My knee hurts. I have shin splints. My foot hurts. You know, it's am I injured? Yep. No, you're just tapering.
1: <laughs> yeah. And it's real. Like that's the emotional piece kicking and you care. You want to show up and, um, do your best and pain and injury is like, besides burnout, which isn't talked about as much, I think in our field, like colloquially injury is the thing that's going to stop you. And I think there's immense fear around that. So you got to play a very careful game of like, don't become so overly cautious that every ache and pain is going to send you down this fear spiral and having to, to step out of the workout or step out of your run or not modify and give it a chance, but also be aware when your body's talking to you and saying too much.
0: Megan, thank you so much for being here today. This was a really, really interesting conversation. uh, And I thank you for sharing your expertise with us. If somebody is interested in learning more about you or your clinic or wants to even come see you in person, go ahead and tell us how they can do that.
1: Yeah, um, I'm located at Perfect Stride in Union Square in New York City. For those who aren't in New York City, we do a lot of virtual consults. We do gait analysis. We do movement analysis run coaching. We love working with runners.
0: Um, yeah. So you can find all that information on our website. Excellent. It'll be linked below in the show notes. You can check them out and learn more. Thank you so much, Megan. Thank you.